0: Welcome to Safer Journeys, a podcast dedicated to raising children, ending violence, and ending oppression. We are your hosts. I'm Melissa, the Community Engagement Director with Safe Journeys, a domestic and sexual violence agency in Illinois. And I'm Heather, your other co-host. I am a preventionist here
1: at Safe Journeys. I want to give you all a quick trigger warning. We will be discussing a little bit of sexual and domestic violence in this episode, as we often do. So be sure to take care of yourself and quit listening. Go do something nice for yourself if you need to. No big deal. And our topic content for today is going to be what LGBTQ youth are facing, what the current climate is for our young kids who identify as an
0: LGBTQ plus. That's right. And so we are in um, October, LGBTQ plus history month. And so um, I wanted to kind of just go over from the human rights campaign. They have put out the numbers as of May of 2023 Mm -hmm. of the anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ bills that were introduced just this past legislative season. Yeah. So it was a record high, and over 520 Mm. bills were introduced at the state level.
1: and That were anti-LGBTQ+. Right.
0: And to be more specific about which ones were anti-trans, over 220 were anti-trans. So almost half were. Um, 70 of those have actually been enacted. So these kinds of bills are things that are like banning gender-affirming care. Allowing for discrimination, allowing misgendering. Um, And when we say it like that, we're saying they are saying they're not going to um, follow the lead of the child when they're saying what gender they are. They're going to use what gender they're appearing to be and what it says on their birth certificate. Um, So there there were also bills against um, drag show restrictions and then curriculum censoring, Forcing trans and non-binary um, children and adolescents to use the bathroom and play sports based on their sex assigned at birth, not their gender identity. Um, and I just wanted to go back to the banning gender affirming care. I just can't handle that because um, everybody should be able to access health care equally and like healthcare care according to their needs as a person. Mm-hmm. And this is basically saying they can't.
1: Yeah. And as a public health person, I don't want to say, I don't know. I never know how to say that. But as someone who has a public health degree, how about that? Healthcare should really be holistic and individualized because every human body and brain is different. This goes against that. Yeah. And I realize like that's also a dream. Like I know that is not really how it is, but it's how it's supposed to be. Right. If, what you need is what they are supposed to be given. It is care. And banning gender affirming care is not is not providing health care.
0: No. And in the
1: ways that a child needs. This yeah. particular child. And need.
0: this actually puts them at uh, more risk for victimization. <sighs> yep. high, like Because it makes them more vulnerable. They're not receiving the care they need. They're not receiving the care they need. In fact, they're being told they're not
1: allowed
0: right to get the because care something that they is need. inherently wrong with them. Right.
1: There's something wrong with you and the thing that you feel like you need makes you weird. Oh.
0: And we know better. Yeah. Yeah, we know better than you mm-hmm. about so that's your the power body. situation, right? That's right. Yeah. Because they have the power mm-hmm. to have control over bodies and what
1: healthcare, what care you receive,
0: which blows my mind. Because that is that should be between The medical professional. Absolutely. And the person who's mm, has the body. Yes. I would,
1: man, I could have a whole season on this alone. (laughs) But
0: it hurts my heart. It does. It It absolutely hurts
1: my heart, particularly. And I know we're going to talk about this a little bit more. But with the gender affirming care, I think there's a lot of misinformation, which is funny. It's actually what we're going to go to talk about next. But yeah, um, there's a lot of misinformation about what gender affirming care might look like. Yeah. So in it's you know simplest it could be having a medical form mm-hmm. that allows you to put down the pronouns you use that allows you to use um your chosen name if say you're trans or non binary and you have and you go by a different name than what you were given at birth or on your birth certificate like those are it that could in itself just be gender affirming care. It doesn't mean we're putting hormones and having surgeries like, yes, those are part of it, but those are much higher level um, aspects. That's just not what it is across the board.
0: Yeah. And I don't want to go on a tangent because I know we're gonna address yes. this in future episodes. However, I wanted to just say, do you know how life giving it is yes. for somebody to be called by their chosen name, than their dead name. That is re-traumatizing them all the time. Mm-hmm. And it is almost like it is an act of violence. It can be used as a tool of abuse. Oh, I've watched to be it called your dead name. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's because on they know it hurts you. Yeah. They're doing. I mean, and to be fair, there's a difference between doing it on purpose to hurt and like just getting used to it. And right. that, and we're going to talk about that later, but like quickly, if you, oops, like legitimately oops and you go, oh, sorry, <laughs> I meant blah, blah, blah. Great. Then you're not being that person who is using it to hurt someone. You made a mistake. Right. You corrected. You're going to do better in the
0: future. Yep. And we'll talk more about that in future episodes. Absolutely. For sure. sure.
1: And then, Melissa, are there any particular areas of the country that are really affected by um, some of these anti-trans or anti-LGBTQ bills? I'm going to say it's
0: from north to south. Um, You got North Dakota. Okay. Tennessee, Mm. Florida, and Texas. Okay. Where they these states are enacting the most laws against LGBTQ okay. plus people, and and that means it's more unsafe. Mm-hmm. And you know when we think about characteristics of relationships, whether it's unhealthy or unsafe, and like unhealthy, you quite you haven't quite crossed the boundary into unsafe yet, but you're watching it. Yeah. And these places, I feel like, are at this point unsafe. I feel like.
1: I truly don't, like, I shouldn't even say this out loud on a recorded podcast. I feel like there are some states now that HRC or Human Rights Campaign is saying are unsafe. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly which ones they are. I have some suspicions, but I'm not going to give you an accurate information right. if I'm wrong. Right. But um, I think they have said there are particular states that, like, just don't go. Right. Yeah. And And, like, oh, there's a whole part of a country you can't go to because of who you are, that's messed up. Especially mm-hmm. like, say it's Florida. Disneyland or Disney World is in Florida, right? Yeah. Even though, to be fair, Disney is pretty pro-LGBTQ. At this point, yes. But the state of Florida is not. right? So like, if you are on Disney property the whole time, probably okay. But like, if you are gonna, you know, go to Jacksonville or wherever else you might go, and not like calling out Jacksonville, I was just thinking of another city within Florida. So yeah, who I, you have to consider where
0: you're going on if you're going to be safe or not. That is very true. That's the same for um, faith communities mm-hmm. as well. There are actual like websites and lists out there of safe places yeah. that are welcoming, welcoming and affirming. Yeah. That's wild to me. Mm-hmm.
1: So one of the things that I think really upholds oppression or creates oppression or supports oppression is propaganda. And I don't think people often use the word propaganda when they're talking about misinformation, but misinformation is propaganda. Yes. Someone created these false statements to cause fear, to inspire action, um, and to hurt people, essentially. Yeah. So there are two particular Um, pieces of misinformation that the anti-LGBTQ people use. Um, One is using the term grooming. As preventionists of child sexual abuse and sexual abuse as a whole, this one really gets us riled up. Because they are using grooming in in a way that it is not, like that is just not what grooming is so uh, let me give you a quick little what is grooming you you could also listen to the two episodes two hours worth of discussion episodes five and six of season one there you go um if you want more information on grooming but grooming is uh building trust like strategically with a child or their family or their community members to essentially abuse them in the future and it's going to be through a variety of techniques. It's going to be over a long period of time. It could be coercion. It could be force. But you kind of brainwash and manipulate everyone involved with the, around the person you're going to abuse until you get them all to like the same level where you can abuse the child and nobody's going to ask questions. So that's what grooming is. When they say that people are, or LGBTQ folks are grooming our children. They're, they're not grooming children to experience abuse at a higher rate or any different rate than straight people, than cisgendered people. LGBTQ plus people are not committing more harm to anyone or children at a rate higher than cisgendered straight people. I think it's really important that you know that. There is not a single statistic out there that says LGBTQ plus people are hurting children.
0: Correct, and actually, it's LGBTQ plus people, both youth and adults, who are experiencing higher rates yes. of sexual violence than straight peers. Yeah, um, LGBTQ youth are nearly four times as likely to experience child sexual abuse than their straight peers, and then LGBTQ plus adults are two to three times more likely to experience sexual violence than straight adults.
1: Yeah, if not more, because right, always right. the statistics, it's, we can only do what's been reported.
0: Absolutely, and I feel like, too, we need to say that um, using terms like grooming, and I know you haven't gotten into the, the next term yet, but using terms for this purpose of um, spreading misinformation to create fear um, is actually distracting. From the actual signs of grooming that people need to be looking for. Like this is an actual issue and they are completely distracting from the actual problem. No, they for sure are.
1: It's like say the an entire a house is burning down and you're like, actually, there's a little garbage fire that's really more important. Um, And we need to like divert all of our resources there. Like maybe that's not the best example, but the point is you're you're creating a diversion. So we all want to keep kids safe. Absolutely. Everyone. Well, except child predators, of course. Sure. But we don't count them. No. So we all want to keep kids safe, including LGBTQ plus people. And truly, I don't have data to support this, but I think LGBTQ LGBTQ plus people have more stake in keeping kids safe because a lot of these individuals as young people have experienced harm because of their gender or sexual identities. Mm -hmm. So I think they have that perspective. They understand what it's like to be harmed and want to help anyone, any child feel safe. Mm -hmm. So I can't say it enough lgbtq plus people are not grooming children to like create harm they are not coercing children to be gay if they are not already gay it doesn't work that way no i have a lot of gay friends i'm straight (laughs) they did not groom me or coerce me into being gay it doesn't work that way this is Absolutely, misinformation. It is harming the LGBTQ plus community, and it is harming kids as a whole because we are now not paying attention to what grooming actually is. So children are going to be exploited and harmed by child predators because we are we're looking at the wrong thing.
0: Right, and because of the way um, individuals um, and schools and Um, organizations like the medical field or the policymakers and then our society with our norms like they are the ones enacting harm on lgbtq youth and adults by not providing the care and everything they and the support they need and so that is what's putting them at higher risk for i wanted to make sure i said it yeah no totally higher risk for um victimization of different types of abuse and um I don't know exactly where I was going to go That's with okay. that after that, but I, I just wanted to make sure I said it that way. Because, again, it's not their fault that they are at more vulnerable no. because of their gender identity no. or sexual orientations. It's because of the way people treat them because of their
1: yes, gender identities exactly. and sexual orientations.
0: Exactly. And, like, secondary, not
1: quite as often, but still happens. People are using the word pedophile as well. Saying that, yeah, um, gay people are pedophiles. I think I've heard it mostly about drag queens. Like, they've been calling drag queens pedophiles. Oh, my gosh. Like, you couldn't have got it more wrong, really. It shows to me how little these individuals actually know about the LGBTQ plus community. And they're, like, stoking fear. Yeah. Again, the misinformation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, again... There aren't, you know, LGBTQ plus people are not more likely to be a pedophile than a straight person. Yeah. They're not. It,
0: same it, as the grooming. Same.
1: Yeah. Same thing. And now you're distracting. Again. From yeah. the tactics maybe that an actual pedophile would use to harm a
0: child. Right. 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 Yep. And again, you know, putting yourself in the shoes of what an LGBTQ plus youth would be facing today. Now at school, only 25% say that they have always felt safe at school. Um, And only 5% said that all of their school staff were supportive. That is really sad. Um, And we, we do know that it makes a difference in the lives of LGBTQ plus young people for an adult to be supportive, even just one. In One any adult makes a difference too. Yes, yes. In not just yeah, um, kids with higher vulner- vulnerabilities, but um, and another thing about um, LGBTQ youth, like they are coming out most often to their friends and classmates because these are the peers they see every day who they're growing up with.
1: I think there's some generational differences as well. Hey. Well, they do a funny podcast on the way here that said Gen Z Gen Z is gayer than ever. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> um, and what the point was that the data is showing people are more willing to yeah. say that they're you know a member of the LGBTQ plus community. So like I can't remember what it was, but like thirty percent of Gen Z yeah. will identify as like some part of LGBTQIA plus. Versus the boomers who yes. like 9% would identify. Right. Are there differences in who actually is? I don't know. I think they're just not as comfortable with saying it oh, as they absolutely. are now. And you can see that because Gen Z is more willing to other Gen Z to disclose or to come out versus to millennials or boomers oh, yeah. Yeah. or Gen Xers.
0: Their access to information and yeah. being able to explore I think has made such a difference Absolutely. because especially the LGBTQ youth that we have spoken with, within in listening sessions, oh, yeah. they had so many nuances to their coming out story or mm-hmm. how they're handling things or their research yeah. of their experiences. Like they're able to match what they're experiencing to maybe what somebody else has written about mm-hmm. and, and find all of these complexities and nuances that <laughs> I can tell you, like as a millennial, well, I wasn't able to tease out no. <laughs> much at all.
1: <laughs> so. No, and like I and we had it better than boomers, right? Yeah. Uh, like everything, every generation it seems like there is more acceptance, um, more information, but like we are still nowhere near where we need to be.
0: No, no, we're still steeped in, you know, propaganda getting yep. into our policies. <laughs> yeah, into our schools. Yeah. Yeah, which is really impacting our young people and how they're able to find support. You know, when it
1: comes particularly to to trans um, and non-binary youth and students, I have a whole lot of feelings about their comfort and ability to use the bathroom. Yeah. Like kids shouldn't have to have so much stress. No. About using the toilet. So, um, from human rights again, about half of trans students in this study that they did said they never get to use the bathroom that aligns with their gender identity. So, to illustrate that, a um, trans boy student who was assigned female at birth is using The women's bathroom. So every time that student enters the women's bathroom. They're reminded. That their identity. Is being invalidated. Mm -hmm. Like. And you got to go to the bathroom right. Like. (laughs) Yeah. So now you're associating going to the bathroom. With like this invalidation of your identity. Which I imagine could cause a lot of problems. um, With your health. Mm -hmm. Um, Mentally and physically. Yeah. So. So. The reason, uh, there are a couple of reasons that the students said that they don't or don't get to or never use the bathroom um, that identifies or aligns with their gender is they don't feel safe in the bathroom. Which, like, I want to tell you, the people who are not safe in bathrooms are not the straight cisgendered people. Those are usually the people committing the harm. Mm -hmm. I saw there is so, like, more politicians have hurt or harmed people in bathrooms. Like, this was a legit study. I don't remember where it was, but I can find it and link it to our show notes. Oh, please do. That more politicians have caused harm to others in bathrooms than any, like, LGBTQ plus um, folks that they could find in, like, police reports. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, it doesn't surprise me. Um, but distractions. Yeah, sorry. Um, so they don't feel safe. They may not know if they're allowed to, which is something to consider. And they also may not feel comfortable being out about their sexual orientation or or particularly for trans students, their gender identity. So like they can't even ask to use the bathroom that aligns with their gender identity because they are, they can't even share that they're trans or that their gender identity is fluid or whatever that may be. Right. Um, The other piece of that, like why they're not using the bathroom that aligns with their gender is that a lot of them will say they just won't use the bathroom at school.
0: Mm -hmm. Or
1: again, they're using the one that doesn't align with their gender identity, but like you're not using the bathroom at school. If you're at school from 7.45 a.m. to 2.45, you should really be taking fluids in to the point where you're using the bathroom. Right,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and students are not going to learn if they are holding it, having anxiety about holding it, having right. anxiety about the bathroom. Um, if they're dehydrating themselves, which is a strategy that I have um, read about that trans individuals will use, is they'll purposefully dehydrate themselves prior to going to a location where they're not sure about the bathroom situation. So, we, like we could, we'll have. There's a lot of things that could happen, right? You could pass out. You're not going to retain your information that you're trying to learn. Like there's just so many negative consequences that stem from students not feeling able to use the toilet. And that's on us. That's on, that is. That's on the educators. That's on the administration. That's on the school boards. That's their fault. The school board and all of those individuals. You're causing kids bathroom anxiety. Cool. And, and
0: again, that is impacting their education. That is impacting their ability to learn, take in information, take those standardized tests um, and in their future, because then, you know, their experience in the classroom is shaping how they see themselves mm-hmm. learning and uh, functioning mm-hmm. in our society. Mm-hmm. And that is completely unfair. Like we are not setting them up for success by not allowing them to use the bathroom that they identify with Mm -hmm. or just give them their like a bathroom that is just a toilet. It is a toilet. Okay. In a lot of Europe,
1: not all of it. And even in in Canada too, they have all gender bathrooms. The difference is floor to ceiling. So like your bathroom stall is floor to ceiling. Yes. Yes. Sometimes they'll have a little sink in there as well. But you still feel super private. You still feel like you're on your in your own little bathroom and like anybody of any gender can go in there. At most, you're like washing your hands alongside other individuals, right? So uh-huh. like, okay, who cares? You're just washing your hands, right? Yeah. So I I don't understand why we're not trying to make that transition here. I know in Illinois, we recently were some legislation was passed that you're allowed to do that. Apparently, you weren't even allowed to do all gender bathrooms like that before. Oh. Um, but recently, some legislation passed that you can. I know uh, where I work at or the college that I'm at, there's been discussions about it. And like there's construction or structural problems with doing that there. Um, so I suspect that's probably the case in other places, but like we can fix this. There mm-hmm. are solutions.
0: Yes. And it's been proven. I Yeah. I've personally seen it.
1: Mm-hmm. I have used a toilet next to a man in an all gender bathroom.
0: And I'm okay. Oh my gosh. I know. I'm I okay. am so glad we washed our hands next to each other, <gasps> Melissa. I it's know. It's really not that intimate to do. It that. is not at all. It's fine. I hope you can hear how tongue-in-cheek we are right now. Yeah, I know. (laughs) We can get very sarcastic when we have big feelings. You're right. (laughs) But all of this data, like we have said, it is from the Human Rights Campaign and a University of Connecticut LGBTQ plus youth survey from 2018. Now, our climate is a bit different than it was in 2018. And so I just want to say, again, these numbers are the ones that have been reported. And these numbers are about five years old at this point. Yeah, they're prior to COVID. Yeah. So yeah, they're going to probably be higher because we've yeah. been through a pandemic.
1: Yeah, COVID really screwed everything up in a negative way. <laughs> yeah. So that report was talking about is actually what we're going to have as our media that we love um, for a couple of reasons. One, of course, the data in it is amazing. However, I read a lot of reports. Reading this report was a joy. It is beautiful they have great illustrations great infographics it doesn't feel like you're reading this like super boring report it feels more like you're like reading a graphic novel or something that happens to have some data and statistics in it Oh, that's wonderful i know when i opened it up i was like i think i have like vo- vocalized like oh how nice or how pretty or something like because they're usually <laughs> very boring and figure number 2.3 you know like yes. it's sad <laughs> um so that survey was done um, for LGBTQ youth that were 13 to 17 years old and they surveyed 12,000 students um, from all 50 states. And uh, yeah, I think we're going to link, we're going to for sure link that in our show notes. Um, and you can see this for yourself. It is of course a free resource as most place or most things are with um, the HRC campaign.
0: Yes. So our next episode that we're going to be doing is part two of talking about LGBTQ plus youth and mental health and its impact, the impact of violence on mental health, specifically for LGBTQ plus youth. So we thank you so much for listening today. Keep listening for resources and we look forward to uh, talking with you soon. Look
1: out for new podcasts every other Monday on anywhere that you can find your podcasts. Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Anchor FM, you name it. We're there. If you have any questions and we would love to hear from you, you can email us at saferjourneyspod at safejourneysallinois.org. You can also message us on social media. We have a Facebook and an Instagram that you can find us at. And let's talk about some resources for anyone who's experiencing abuse. If you happen to live in and around LaSalle or Livingston County in Illinois, please feel free to call Safe Journeys Support Line at 815-673-1555, 24-7, confidential, services are free. If you don't happen to be in our, our area, there are two national hotlines that you can call for support. For sexual violence, you can call Rain with two N's. That's the National Sexual Violence Hotline. Their phone number is 800-656-HOPE. They also have a live chat on their website if you're interested. And for domestic violence or intimate partner abuse, you can call the hotline, which is simply thehotline.org. And this is our national domestic violence hotline, and you can give them a call at 800-799-SAFE or chat live on the website.